Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, you look uh, cold and rested, well, at least one of those. Uh, isn't it nice to have phones that automatically change the time? And uh, I, I would ask you if you uh, got an extra hour sleep or just said, I'll stay up an hour later, but I'm not going to ask you which one of those. It's, it's good to have you here this morning on a nice, invigorating November morning. I want to encourage you uh, and thank you. We, uh, I know we had some, uh, they took the things over to Bryant School, and as usual, our uh, church family was amazing in, uh, in giving and uh, to encourage those in our local school. And so the local elementary school, Bryant Elementary, just down the street, about eight blocks or so from here. And that was a neat way. They were so grateful, and uh, it's exciting to be able to help and encourage in that way. Also, Samaritan's Purse, uh, those, uh, you need to have the boxes here by next Sunday. And uh, so that has been a great thing. We had a wonderful trunk or treat. And again, the, uh, the service and willingness to sacrifice of our people it was amazing as we reached out to our neighborhood children. I want to encourage you. Uh, this next Tuesday is election day. We talked about it just a little bit last week. I encourage you as Christians, our responsibility as citizens. And so you need to vote and uh, look and see the different candidates for the different positions and uh, Look at, at where they stand in different issues and uh, be a good citizen, be a good Christian citizen and, and vote. And I know you can actually, if you're not registered, you can actually register up to election day. We do have some registration forms out in the foyer. You can grab one of those if you aren't registered. Uh, I know there's people willing to give rides if you uh, need a ride to a polling place. And tonight at 6.45, Awana goes from 5 to 6.30, but from 6.45 till 8 tonight, we're just going to have the auditorium open for you to come in and pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, and uh, pray for the election that's coming up. It will be very informal, and no, you don't need to come to an auditorium to pray. But I encourage you to, to consider that tonight. And any time between 6.45 and 8, just to come in and spend a little time praying for our nation, for our leaders. And as Christians, we're called to pray for our leaders, those we agree with, those we don't agree with. And so I encourage you to do that. And uh, we are very blessed to live in the United States of America, and we as Christians need to be the citizens and the prayer warriors that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize uh, that you, as Almighty God, love us, as we've been singing about this morning, the greatest love story ever told, the love of you sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, as we look this morning at a picture of that love story, may we recognize the importance of living our lives to honor and glorify you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to continue to look at some of the unlikely heroes, or one of those, that uh, is described in the Old Testament. A couple weeks ago we looked at Enoch. 
He was a faithful hero who walked with God. Genesis chapter 5, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We looked at Jonathan, a hero who followed God's plan rather than his own. He gave up the throne in order to do what God called him to do and stand with his friend David, an amazing example of a hero. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Ruth. There's a book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, four chapters, a total of 85 verses, but it's an amazing love story that brings out some of the characteristics of a hero. And so we're going to this morning just go through these 85 verses, just look at the story as a whole, and as we do that, we'll see some of these characteristics that come to the forefront. We see that a a hero stands out from the world around them. In Ruth chapter 1, the first two verses, we're introduced to uh, what's taking place in the world at that time. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now we see that the story of Ruth and her life took place in the time of the judges. Notice what it says, and it says this more than once in Judges, but in Judges 17.6, it gives a, a picture, a snapshot of what life was like at that time. Excuse me. Judges 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Chaos, a little bit of anarchy. And that's the time frame that this story is found. Ruth lived at a time when the culture was not a godly culture. It was a culture of chaos. And a person who lived a godly life stood out in comparison to the world around them. And then we're introduced to this man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And and this story is also a story of names. Because at that time, they would oftentimes use names with powerful meanings to demonstrate. Sometimes we just pick a name because that sounds nice. It sort of has a ring to it. But Elimelech means, my God is king. The the name that Elimelech had, my God is king. And I'm sure Elimelech's parents were praying that that God would work in the life of this son that they had to, to have him follow God seriously in the midst of a world that didn't. But while his name pointed to someone who followed God, Elimelech demonstrated a lack of faith. He left Bethlehem and went to the ungodly land of Moab. There was a famine in the land, and so when the pressure came, Elimelech ran. Now it's also interesting, Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. 
And a picture there of, of provision, but yet Elimelech didn't trust God's provision. Instead, he went and took his family to the ungodly land of Moab. Notice what it says in verses 3-5 through five of chapter 1 of Ruth. And we also see some chaos in the circumstances that, that, had, that took place in the life of Elimelech's family. It says, beginning in verse 3, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died, so the, women survived her, the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Naomi was facing disastrous circumstances. They go to Moab, a land where they knew no one, but they started to build a, a, a heritage there, you could say. And, but then Elimelech died. So now it was Naomi and her two sons, Malon and Kilion. And, and then they decided to take wives. And so maybe it was a little bit of, okay, things seem to be getting a little better because now Naomi has daughters-in-law. And so the family there, mom and sons and daughters-in-law. But then, the two boys died. Now, now it's interesting, the names. And this almost seems like a, a, a joke. The names of the two sons, Malon, which means sickly, and Kilion, which means weeping, weeping excuse me, or pining. So here we have Naomi and, and the two sons, Sicko and Crybaby. <laughs> and so, you know, you just can't make it any better. So Sicko and Crybaby take wives. We see that we have Orpah and Ruth. But then, Malon and Kilion died. And so it now was Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. So here was Naomi left in a foreign land with no husband, no children, no grandchildren. Just, I mean, daughters-in-law, but no grandchildren to follow with the family line. These women seemed to have no hope. But in the midst of the heartache, we find a foreign girl named Ruth who steps up as a hero. We see that a hero is loyal. So Naomi determined to move back to Bethlehem and, and told Orpah and Ruth to stay in Moab. That's where their families that they grew up in, that's where their families were, that's where their friends were, that's where their, their culture was. And so she said, you need to stay here. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. You don't need to take care of your mother-in-law. And so she gets ready to go back. And we see that Orpah says, Okay, but Ruth doesn't. Listen to this loyalty of Ruth in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Probably the most familiar verses in the book of Ruth. It says, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. 
She says, listen, I'm going to give up everything I have. I'm going to give up the land and the family that I grew up in, and I'm going to go with you. I'm going to walk with you through the midst of all of the circumstances that you face. Now, a couple other names. Orpah and Ruth. Orpah means stubborn. Ruth means friendship. And really, Ruth fulfilled both of them, didn't she? She was a stubborn friend to her mother-in-law. She stubbornly said, I am not going to leave you. You can tell me to stay here in Moab as you go back to Bethlehem, back to Israel, but I am going to walk with you. There's nothing you can say or do to keep me from going with you. Now think about this. What was Ruth signing up for? She was signing up for leaving everything she knew to go and take care of a lady who had nothing to give in return. A a lady who now was getting on in years with no other family and Ruth was going to walk with her and take care of her. Now that is a friend. Have you ever had the opportunity to walk with somebody who is going through the deepest, darkest valleys? It's not fun. But it's what we're called to do. And that's what Ruth was willing to do, to give up everything she knew and had to go and live with a lady who was discouraged, depressed, and desperate. Notice what it says in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. It says, Now the two of them, this is Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? Now, before we get too hard on Naomi, we need to recognize that Naomi still followed God. But she was fighting major depression. And understandably so. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. She came back to her homeland with nothing other than this daughter-in-law who stubbornly said, I'm going to be your friend through thick and thin. And so she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Now an interesting another set of names. Her name, Naomi, means pleasant. Mara means bitter. And you watch the reception when she comes back to Bethlehem. She comes back to Bethlehem and they are excited. And I think part of the reason they're excited because this is a lady who brings joy to everything she comes in contact with. But Naomi says, not anymore. Just call me bitter. Sort of depressing but that's what's taking place but we see that that Ruth is a loyal 
hero. And through Naomi's battle with discouragement and depression, Ruth stayed with her. We also see that Ruth trusted God. And we see that a hero, a godly hero, trusts that God has a plan. So they arrive back in Bethlehem here in chapter 2. They have no income, and so Ruth determined to take care of her mother-in-law. And the, the Israelites had a thing they did that when they went and they gleaned. It was time of the barley harvest. When they gleaned, the, the workers in the fields, would, if they dropped any, they would leave it there. They wouldn't go through a second time and pick anything up. Or if they missed a section, they would leave it there so those who were poor and needy could come behind and gather for themselves. And so Ruth said, listen, Naomi, I'm going to go and I'm going to help you. By, we're gonna, I'm going to go out into the fields and I'm going to gather behind the workers so we can have food to eat. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. It says, then she, that's Ruth, left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the family of Elimelech. I love the words, she happened. God wasn't surprised. Now while this seemed to be random chance because Bethlehem was an area where there were lots of fields. It was called the house of bread. There were fields all around. And she just happened to go to glean in the field of Boaz who was a close relative of Elimelech. And that's going to come into play here in just a minute. Well, Boaz and the men saw what was taking place. Boaz made sure his men protected Ruth, quietly watched to make sure that she got plenty of grain to be able to bring, plenty of barley to be able to collect, and also that nobody would bother her. And so they were quietly watching out for her. But you notice, it so happened. Providence. We use the term providence. I came across a powerful definition of providence a couple weeks ago, and it, and it says this. It says, God takes natural events and He enacts supernatural results. Have you ever been in a situation and you're going through it and you don't see it at the time, but as you look back, you can see the hand of God in the circumstance that you were dealing with. Ruth had no idea the importance of the field she chose. But God's providence, God taking natural events and enacting supernatural results. So let's go on with the story. We see that God provided the food that, that Ruth and Naomi needed, but He was going to provide much more. Look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. It says, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be He of the Lord who has not forsaken His kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Naomi recognized the possibility that God was at work. And that there was going to be the possibility of a kinsman redeemer. Maybe not familiar to us, but to the Jewish people, a very familiar term. 
You see, a kinsman redeemer is a close relative that would buy back the land and possibly marry a widow in order to protect the family line. And Naomi recognized this guy Boaz. He was a close relative. Maybe he would be willing and able to step in and be the small s savior in their situation. So Naomi got pretty excited. She was like, yes. God may be at work after all. And so she comes up with a plan. She says, all right, here's what you do. You go and, and you, you go into that field and you stay in that field. That's the only place you glean. But we're going to, then tonight is coming here in chapter 3. Tonight you're going to go and after everybody goes to bed, you're going to lay at the feet of Boaz and see what happens. Now, there's a question of what that means. I don't believe there was anything immoral in this. But she goes there and she lays by his feet after he falls asleep. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and there's somebody down at the bottom of his bed. They were laying out, actually out in the fields or where they were collecting the grain. And he finds out that it's Ruth. And she has a question for him. Notice what it says in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, that's Boaz, and turned himself, and there a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. What was happening? She was saying, Boaz, marry me. The kinsman redeemer would redeem the land, but also redeem the family line if that was possible. And so she was saying, listen, put your wing over me. Take care of my family. Boaz took the position of kinsman redeemer and we could say that they lived happily ever after. But God was not done. So what happens? Boaz says, I will do that. But there's a closer relative. Now, I also think this closer relative gets a bad rap. Because if you read the story, so what happens is Boaz goes to the city gate, and that's where all the legal transactions took place. He goes to the city gate, and he, and he calls this other closer relative who had first right, and he brings him there and he says, oh, okay, you know, Naomi's back in town and, and, and I'm willing to be a kinsman redeemer, but you have first right. So would you like to take and purchase back the land of Elimelech who has died and Naomi's here? And the guy says, yeah. And then Boaz says, and I think he has this planned. He says, oh, and by the way, that also means that you need to marry Ruth. The widowed daughter-in-law of Naomi. Now, if you read those verses there, you find that he says, because first he says, yeah, for the land, I'll do it. This is great. But then he says, for my inheritance, I can't. And I think what's happening there is he says, I already have a family. 
so I can't take on that added responsibility. So he gives his sandal to Boaz, who basically a picture, and it's much deeper in the Israelite tradition, but I'm stepping into your shoes as the kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz and Ruth marry, and they live happily ever after, but that's not the end of the story. You see that David was the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth. It was the line of the Messiah. Notice what it says in Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 as we, as we finish the book. And, and oftentimes we get to these genealogies, and if you're like me, you read the words, and like, I don't know if I'm even saying this correctly, but watch the hand of God. It says this, beginning in verse 18, chapter 4, it says, Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nation. Nation begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz. Boaz begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. Boaz was a hero. He sacrificed in order to provide for Naomi and Ruth. And just a little side trip here, please bear with me in this. It's, it's interesting. You, you see, to marry a foreigner was not looked upon in a positive light. But Boaz sacrificed in order to purchase back the land and take on the responsibility of Naomi and Ruth. Now, obviously, we see that they were married, and, and so there were some benefits, don't get me wrong, but it was a great sacrifice also. Where did Boaz learn that? This is just an interesting thing. If, if you look at that genealogy, Boaz's dad was a guy named Salmon, or in English we'd look, yeah, salmon. You can do some salmon fishing, but salmon. Why was Salmon important other or what made him stick out he was important he was part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ obviously pretty important there but if you go to the Matthew genealogy of Jesus Christ we're coming to Christmas season and sometimes we'll go through Matthew chapter one and so we see the genealogy and it says that Salmon had a son named Boaz Salmon and his wife Rahab Remember that name? Rahab, the one who took and hid the spies as the Israelites were getting ready to attack Jericho. Where did Boaz learn to show sacrificial love? He learned it from his dad. We have an opportunity to impact the next generation, not just with what we say, but how we live. And Boaz was open to sacrificing for Ruth and Naomi because he watched it from his father. And we're called to do the same thing, to be that example. Fascinating thing. And as we close, I want to share one more part of the story. 
Now we see the characteristics of Ruth. She stood out in an ungodly culture. She was loyal. She trusted that God had a plan. And we see Boaz stepping up also and, and sacrificing the, the incredible characteristics of a hero. But it all points to the ultimate love story and our ultimate hero. See, this story of Ruth and Boaz points to that greatest love story, how God so loved the world. Boaz and what he did pointed to the perfect kinsman redeemer. And you see that a kinsman redeemer had three qualifications required in order for them to step up. They needed to be related. They needed to be willing and they needed to be able. They needed to be related because it was a relative that was supposed to take the position of kinsman redeemer. They needed to be willing. It oftentimes required great sacrifice. And they needed to have the ability, the funds, etc. to be able to do that. Boaz had all three of those. He was a close relative. He was willing to step in and sacrifice to help out. And he was able. God had blessed him in order for the provision to be there. But it points to our ultimate kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He became one of us. He put on human flesh. He willingly did that. And He is the one and only who is able to pay the price for the sins that we have committed. The ultimate kinsman redeemer. Jesus Christ willingly took on humanity. He was able to provide the sacrifice required to purchase us. Just like Ruth, we are redeemed. We're brought into a position of great favor. We're endowed with great riches. And we are considered the bride of the Redeemer. Jesus Christ. Ruth is a heroic picture of love. And it's fascinating. You look at the story of Ruth. Ruth begins with a famine and closes with a family. She begins, or the book begins with a funeral actually three of them, and closes with a wedding. But it took place because there was a hero, actually more than one, who stepped up and honored God in the way that they lived. And it all points to our ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he took on human flesh, came to this world to live a life to die for our sins. So that when we put our faith and trust in Him, we can have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven. And our home will be heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your love. I pray that You would help us today to recognize that You are Almighty God. Help us today to recognize Your love for us in sending Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be like Ruth. A hero who stood with those who faced hardship. Lord, help us to be willing to stand with those who are going through hard times. Help us to be loyal. Loyal to those around us and loyal to You. 
to recognize that you are in control. Your providence and sovereignty are exhibited and we can trust you. And we thank you for your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.